This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 34, which begins on page 550 in the Book of Praise. We'll read this together, the first question, what is the law of the Lord? And we read the ten words of the covenant, the law of this this morning, morning worship service. And then question 93, how are these commandments divided? We confess into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? And the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. And we confess that for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in him alone, submit to him with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel as instructions for their redeemed life. In a previous series in the Ten Commandments, we looked at what God wants in each commandment, how Christ Jesus fulfilled that righteousness, and then how the Holy Spirit now leads us by His Word to desire to continue to obey the commandments in our thankfulness. For the Christian living in the new covenant after Christ's work, the Ten Commandments continue to reveal how we are to live in relation to God and to our neighbor, and so they fit very well together with our Lord Jesus' description of the citizens of the kingdom that we can read about in the sermons on the mount and the sermon on the plain. In these sermons, the Lord reveals that the, the basic principles behind the Ten Commandments so that God's children can know what it looks like when we are renewed by the Holy Spirit in our new obedience. The first commandment serves as a base for all the rest of the commandments because it teaches us that before anything else, we can only have joyful fellowship with God for all eternity living in obedience to those commandments, if, as we confess, we trust in Him alone, submit to Him with all humility and patience, and expect all good from Him only, and love, fear, and honor Him with all our hearts. Our Lord Jesus teaches us what this looks like by making us think of the consequences for such faith on our minds, and on our hearts, and on our eyes, and on our actions. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, serve the Lord only 
as their master or serve the Lord as their only master. We'll see that Christ reveals the other so-called options. Secondly, the radical opposition. And thirdly, the Christian position. Although the theme of wholehearted service to the Lord God underlies the instruction of our Lord in this entire Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, our Lord Jesus gives us some clear contrasts that highlight the distinct values and priorities and purposes of those who desire to have no other gods before or besides the one true God. Jesus' concluding statements to his different illustrations in this section, where we see verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 6 verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. And 6 verse 24, the end, you cannot serve God and money. These concluding statements make it clear that your actions Follow your understanding. What you value in your life will be shown by the choices that you make. And a diligent Christian will think carefully about the real value of the so-called different options that seem available to us. And our Lord Jesus first makes us think about the people who value their treasures on earth above everything else. The absurdity of this passionate pursuit for things that are all eventually destroyed by moth and rust and so easily stolen away from us is actually known to almost everyone you talk to in the world. And yet, for some reason, people just cannot break from the habit. People grow up desiring a comfortable life. They train so that they can work and make more money. They buy things to make themselves more comfortable. Then they update their stuff a few times when it grows old or rusty. They die, often regretting that they haven't found something worthwhile to live for. And then their children take loads of things to the second-hand store. And that's it. Films and songs that have struggled to explain this addiction to material comforts among the human race and its negative consequences on work widow, widowers, and orphans usually encourage people to spend more quality time with their families. So one idol is replaced with another and the sorrow over losing temporary possessions is only replaced with the sorrow over losing family and friends who also leave us when it is their time to die. It's clear that the option of spending our time looking to material things or things of this world for comfort, it's not a very good option. It doesn't satisfy because ultimately it is futile and often it causes harm to others. So why do people keep going back to it? It is because they're letting their lives be controlled by their sinful passions rather than by minds that are focused on the truth that God has revealed in his word. If we live like the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes who tried to find meaning in the world through wisdom 
and pleasures and work. Well, everything we do, as the teacher discovered, will be darkened by the understanding and the knowledge of the imminent decay of the things we love until we ourselves end up dying. And the preacher asks, and, and who, what happens to all that we lived for? Those who choose to live under the sun without looking beyond to see the sovereign and almighty God will find out that this is not a very good way to find satisfaction, enjoyment, and peace in this life. Jesus' second illustration begins with the statement that the eye is the lamp for the body. It's a very unique comparison because usually when we think of the eye, we often refer to it as the window to the soul or an entrance into our minds by which our surrounding can influence our hearts. Well, since the eye is made to receive light, it's surprising to think of it as a lamp that shines light. And the only way to understand our Lord's meaning is to see the statement as it relates to the context. After explaining that the values that we hold to in our minds affect what kind of passions are in our hearts, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, the second illustration carries us through to the next consequence by teaching us that whatever lives in our hearts will influence how we interpret the things that we are looking at. You can see the order. The focus of our minds, what we consider to be true treasure, affects our hearts, what we desire to gain in our lives, which in turn affects, influences how we can see the things that are in front of us in this life. They affect our evaluation of the value of things. In Jesus' illustration, the second illustration, the mind is the cause of the light, the heart is the light itself, and the eyes are the lamps that are shining into the dark world that has rejected God. With this illustration, the Lord Jesus shows us that either people will be without God and have dark hearts and impaired vision, so that they cannot distinguish the truth from the lies. They will make bad choices like the fools in the book of Proverbs or the blind teachers in Jesus' teaching. Or they will belong to God and be able to understand, to interpret what they are seeing. Their eyes serving as lamps to illuminate. Now the irony is that although Jesus' teaching makes it very clear that turning away from the one true God who is in heaven only leads to more misery and despair. We need the Spirit of God in our hearts to see and to believe what Jesus is teaching. And so we pray, may the Lord illumine our hearts so that we may see. May he give us the light within so that we can distinguish between the truth and illusions. May he help each one of us to see that the so-called other options only lead to death and that there is really only one way to live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 44 verse 6, the text that was displayed as you were walking in this afternoon, makes it very clear. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. We see there's a radical opposition. The first commandment reveals that the worship of God is exclusive. Our Lord Jesus confirms this with the illustration of a servant who is expected to fulfill the demands of two masters. If one master tells him to go on Monday morning and, and to dig a trench in Windermere, and another tells him to go to the airport on Monday mornings to make a business deal in Spain, it's impossible for that person to fulfill the demands of both masters. They would tear him apart. Even in situations where one master commands you to submit to a second master so that both masters can be obeyed at the same time, there will still be an order to our allegiance and we are either obeying or disobeying the most uh, authoritative master. And the first commandment declares to us that God is the highest power and the highest authority in all the earth. And we can only truly serve him if we serve him only. We serve him with all our hearts. And if anyone asks you why you should serve God alone, why you can't add anything to the worship of God, you could answer them that God commands this because it's impossible to do anything different than this. There's a, you cannot add anything. You're either serving God alone or you're not serving God at all. You see, God is completely different than anything we know because he is the creator and everything else is created. The first commandment flows from the absolute truth that the Lord our God is holy. The first commandment is necessary because God is incomparable to anything that is merely created. The only way to, to compare the created things to God is to state that these created things are not God. There are only two things. There's God and not God. The most common illustration of this absolute difference is the comparison between light and darkness. Although the one can temper the other, you cannot have absolute darkness and light at the same time. It's impossible to be in the darkness and in the light at the same time, as, as impossible as it is to be in Windermere and Spain at the same time. The Lord reveals that he is the absolute truth who can be contradicted by no one. He is the meta-narrative who destroys the very foundation of the postmodern philosophy and the one who shares his glory with nothing because everything else has been created by him to serve him. And as Christians, then, we believe that there is an either-or in this life. All creatures, all are creatures and servants of the one true God. And the only question is whether we are faithful servants or we are unfaithful servants. 
and the Lord our God dwells in unapproachable light, the Bible says. And he is the source of all light in the world, including the light of truth that he plants in our minds and hearts if we see him. The radical opposition between God and all other creatures has consequences for our lives. We will always be on one side or on the other. We, have, we who have the, the mind of Christ that we have received by grace are those who are able to know what are the treasures, the treasures in heaven. But there are also those who have darkened minds, who can only think about work and family and comforts on earth. Their treasures are on earth. Either we are guided in our minds by God through his word to see that all our treasure is in heaven and we focus our desires on this truth so our whole body is leaning toward that truth that is illuminated by our eyes because of our new minds or we are controlled by our hearts and sinful passions that make us want to serve as treasures on earth, the things that have been created, where moth and rust destroy. The lamp of our eyes is either shining on the glorious kingdom of heaven, or they are not shining at all. We either have single vision, or we have no vision at all, because double vision is just an illusion, a lie. You cannot have God in anything in addition to God. You cannot serve God and money. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven, whose minds have been renewed by the Spirit of God, whose hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and whose spirits are being shaped by the Word of God, will also show this transformation in their wholehearted desire to serve God alone. That's the Christian position. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven seek to serve the Lord their God as their only master. And we seek this because God has first adopted us to be his children. He has given us clear minds. He, he opens our eyes so that we can recognize that the Bible truthfully reveals the one true God. And when we look at him, we recognize that he is the one who frees us from slavery to sin so that we may walk in peaceful fellowship with him. That's the, the blessing of the new life. With our minds set on things above where Christ is seated, our hearts follow our minds where we know the true treasure is. And everything we look at is now lit up with that lamp of truth. And so we can understand from God's word where we came from, where we are, where we are going. The spirit of Christ within us teaches us that the only way to try, find true and lasting joy is to live according to the will of God in our relationship to him and to our neighbor. And you'll notice as you go through the Ten Commandments that they're speaking of down-to-earth daily relationships that affect the way we speak and, and the things that we think, the things that we do. 
Well, by God's grace, I could say this afternoon, as believers in Jesus Christ, this is what our hearts desire. We do desire to walk in fellowship with God. And that's why we also pay careful attention when our Lord Jesus shows us the different ways that we sometimes work against our own position and our own purpose. The practical application of the first commandment in our lives is related to whom or what we serve in this life. We can look at our whole life through that filter that our Lord Jesus gives us in Matthew 6. And as we look at our lives through this filter of what, what master we're serving, we realize that there's a lot of things that we serve even though we know better. The beautiful and very clear definition of idolatry in our confession and question and answer 95 makes this very clear. And then our Lord's teaching makes us ask, what kind of things are we tempted to serve as our master instead of God? What sorts of things do we keep on doing even though we know that they are hindering our relationship to God and to our neighbor? What kind of treasures in your heart are you pursuing? The kind that will be lost to death and decay, or the kind that will never be lost? Do we understand that sin, it is a sin against the first commandment, if we are not fighting against our harmful addictions that so often lead us to lie or to isolate ourselves or to manipulate others or to grow angry, fail to grow in our spiritual lives? Are the habits that characterize your life helping you to grow closer to God or are they addictions that are actually causing harm? Do you see how often we just end up serving the things that were created by God to serve us? You can just think for a minute of our phones. Clearly something God created so that it could serve us, could serve fellowship and communion, communication, But how quickly do we let our lives be controlled by the ringtone of another text? Or how fearful do we feel when we we don't know where our phones are? How constantly we, we turn to them. Wake up in the morning, what's the first thing that we look for? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had the same love and devotion to the Scriptures? as we do for our phones. And although addictions are a regular result of the fall into sin, and we use the phone just as one example, the harm that they cause to ourselves, to our relationship, to our neighbors, and worst of all, to our relationship to God, show us again why it's so harmful to turn from God to serve created things, as our masters. And the first commandment also sheds light on how we spend our time. Again, if we compare the time we waste 
drinking in worldly morals and values on social media, on Instagram, Netflix, and other media. The time we invest in that anxious concern over the news of the world. We compare that to the constructive time that Christians spend praying and reading, studying God's Word, encouraging and serving one another. Does this comparison reflect which master you are devoted to and which you're despising? And so when we hear the Ten Commandments every Sunday again, we could think through these things in our life so that our confession of our sins can be genuine and our trust in God can be thorough. Use the, the lamp of the new heart to distinguish, to see, and to follow through. And the good news is, brothers and sisters, that when all this idolatry that we see in our lives is clearly there only against our will. And it's an idolatry that we, we hate and we fight against it in daily repentance. That fight is evidence of the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. The Spirit that guides us by the Word of God. Your hatred of these, these sins, these, these serving of other masters that are just created things that hatred is proof that you have been redeemed by Christ, that you have been given a new mind so that you serve Him as citizens of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven where righteousness dwells. Do not lose heart and despair as you see your weaknesses, but see the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. See that in Him there is life and forgiveness and hope and peace with God and His Spirit who powerfully leads us. The Lord Jesus calls the citizens of the kingdom blessed. Many times at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed, 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 blessed. We are blessed because God has revealed to us that He is the one true God. And we are blessed when we desire to serve Him, to trust Him, to submit to Him, to love Him, we are blessed because this is a gift that is given to us by grace alone without any merit of our own. And then we see how this first commandment is a constant invitation to weak and weary sinners. An invitation to, to come, and to get to know the one true God even more. And as you draw to Him to get to know Him even more, you'll see that that serving of created things happens less and less. How are you seeking to grow in the knowledge of the only true God? And since you already belong to God by His grace, you are blessed, you are saved by His grace alone. The, the call to us is to abide, remain in Christ. Love your heavenly Father who delights to walk with you, with, with you giving Him your full attention. And praise God for your position in Christ. Your treasure is in heaven. 
Your body is full of light. You have the mind of Christ. And you are servants of the one true God alone who loves you and cares for you. Amen. Psalm 123, stanza 1, a psalm that speaks of the heart that is focused on heaven. Several comparisons made in this psalm. You'll notice the repetition of how our eyes are continually lifted up, just like the eyes of slave to their Lord, to their master. So we look to our master's face until he grants us grace. Psalm 123, we'll sing that standing, if you're able to stand, we'll sing that together. together in thanksgiving prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We pray that in our lives we may rightly come to know you, only true God. That we may also rightly come to know what it means to serve you with our whole heart soul and mind and strength. We thank you that you have revealed this truth, that you alone are God, that only in you can we find peace and love and hope and joy. Father, we know as our Lord Jesus taught us that turning to you also means turning away from many things that we and people in this world have grown accustomed to leaning upon, to looking to for comfort. Father, as we see this struggle in our own lives as well, we thank you that we may know that as we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just, you forgive us our sins, And you set us on the right path as you guide us by your word and spirit. Father, we pray that you will help us to think carefully about our lives. 
Help us to grow in our knowledge of who you are. Help us to glorify you with also the choices we make during the day, how we spend our time, energy, and resources. We ask, Lord, that you will bless each one of us in our Bible study, a reflection on who you are. You will continue to give us the desire to be faithful in this, to grow close to you, to remain in the gospel message of Christ's righteousness that is our own. We ask, Father, that you will also help us as we study the Bible and pray together with one another, whether it be with friends, with family members, brothers and sisters in the different Bible studies that take place throughout the week. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this study that as we see more and more of the fullness of your glory, we may also be lifted up in worship before you, that our hearts may be more and more focused on you, our treasure may truly be in heaven. We ask that you will give us discerning minds, discerning eyes, and faithful lives. We pray this, O Lord, from the depths of our heart, because we know that you alone are good. We ask that you will be with the spiritual leaders in our lives, that you will bless those parents with this task and calling to raise their children in the fear of your name, all those who, are, who also work in cooperation with parents to take this responsibility seriously. We pray that you will help us to discern very clearly what is temporary of this world and what is heavenly. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will bless the office bearers in the congregation as well. Give strength and perseverance to minister to the elders, to the deacons, as they seek to reflect Jesus Christ in their pastoral work and care, the words they use, guiding us in the ministry of mercy and in communion of saints. Lord, we all know how much we depend on your mercy and your grace and your spirit to guide us. And we pray for this guidance in our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We now have an opportunity to give your thanksgiving offering to the Lord. And after that, we will... Uh, stand to sing the closing song, which is hymn 78, all stanzas.
beautiful to hear all the voices praising God together again this special Sunday. Let's receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.